at Bayview and uh, visiting with uh, Brother and Mrs. Alexander and Luke and uh, seeing the work down there. And I can report the work is doing fantastic. I'm just excited. Uh, met several new folks that have been reached through the ministry down there uh, and growing and people, uh, again, training for the ministry and uh, just exciting. And uh, months ago, Brother Timothy um, uh, told me he was going to be up here, uh, I guess weeks ago, uh, for this uh, past week and, and early into next week, this coming week. Uh, and uh, I, uh, it was a surprise, me going down for the Alexanders and and so I couldn't really tell him that, yep, you're coming up here, but I'm not going to be here. Uh, but uh, we did, and uh, then we got the word along. Uh, but Brother Timothy I met last year when um, my wife and I and Hope went down there during the tragedy that took place with uh, the Alexanders uh, last year, and we went and filled in for them for a while. And I got to meet uh, Timothy um, last year. Um, Timothy's a young man. He is surrendered to the Lord. Brother Alexander is training him. He's growing in the Lord. He's a soul winner. He uh, does so much. Brother Alexander was telling me everything that Brother Timothy is involved in and takes care of for them. And uh, he is a blessing to the work down there. And uh, they're about to start a uh, track campaign and passing out gospel tracks. And, and uh, Brother Alexander's planning on beating you. I want you to know that. But, uh, uh, but uh, it's Brother Alexander's team against uh, Brother Timothy's team. And, uh, but uh, you're, you're the Knights, yeah? Yeah, see, uh, yeah, it's paying attention. And, uh, but uh, so they're all excited about that. And uh, just uh, can't tell you what a blessing that this uh, young man has been to Brother Alexander and to the ministry down there. And uh, I just think it's wonderful. I've been trying the last few weeks, having, or last few months, having a young man that's called to the ministry to get up and preach for several reasons to give them an opportunity to preach, but also to encourage our children, our young men and uh, teenage boys, that uh, God calls you. There's no greater life than finding yourself in the will of God. Don't run from it. Run to it, all right? And uh, Brother Timothy has been a blessing uh, down there in Florida, and so I asked him while he was here to bring the message for us this evening, and uh, I'm excited about that. We have a church, daughter church that we're planting that is producing another young man to go into the ministry like our grandchild, all right? Yeah, all right, awesome, all right, so amen, so, uh, but Brother Timothy, you come, share with us what God has laid on your heart, but uh, I'm really glad you're able to be here tonight, so. Thank you, brother. Good evening, everyone. I'm going to say some opening comments and some greetings, but before I do that, um, please turn to Psalm 91. We have a long sermon tonight, and there's a little bit short on time, and so I want to get us turning there while I thank everyone. Um, First of all, I did try to make it around to greet everyone, and so please forgive me if I didn't meet you. Um, There's probably over 100 people in this room right now, and uh, I have tried to to say hi to everyone, and you guys have been very welcoming, and I am very encouraged by your love and your kindness. Uh, I'm very uh, appreciative also of Brother Burke and Brother Price um, just putting me in the mission room and uh, making me feel at home and blessed, and they are very hospitable. Uh, We have a very hospitable pastor and a very hospitable staff on your church, and so I'm thankful uh, for both of those. 
And then last of all, I'm thankful to get the opportunity to, to preach, uh, especially to you guys. This is my first time in terms of a large group of people, and so this will be fun for me, um, as I hope it is for all of you. And most of all, I just have been praying that the Lord would use this to touch someone's life, to just one person um, at least, uh, to, to be able to be used uh, by the, the truth that's uh, here today. And so with that in mind, let's look at Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers, and under His wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. And before I start with our opening prayer, um, the topic for tonight's sermon is Jesus, Our Refuge. And it's very interesting that we got to look at, in the last uh, two sermons that I was here at, um, at Kazadel, we learned about uh, Acts chapter number 16 and the blessing that uh, Paul and Silas went through seeing the, the jailer saved. And one of the things Brother Josh preached about was singing in the shadows and just uh, being able to sing when times are tough. But it's not just everybody that's going to sing when times are tough. It's not everybody that can. And today I want to explore the, the reality of how. How do you get to the point where you can have the confidence in God's deliverance? How can you get to the point where you trust in God enough that you actually go to him and pray when the time requires it? Because it's important. It's important to be like Paul and Silas in that aspect. But it's not going to just happen overnight. You're not going to just wake up one day and go through the trial of your life and just start singing. And that's kind of what I want to get into today. And that's what I think Psalm 91 explores uh, very, very well. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and for your mercy. Please be with us today. Please just uh, help any nervousness to go away, Heavenly Father. And please also uh, rid the, the room of distractions, Lord, and any problems, Lord, that might come. And please just fill us with your power and your spirit. Please be with us, each of us individually, but also, Lord, help us collectively, Lord, that we'll uh, just embrace and learn the truth that you have for us tonight. Thank you, Father. All these things we ask and pray now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've all had those days. We want it to be a good day, but the problems come and they just don't seem to stop. And before long, you just you lose heart and you just go throughout the day and you're just down. Um, sometimes it's the loss of a loved one. Other times we feel worthless and insignificant at our job or the task that we're trying to accomplish. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe the car broke down or some financial burden hit. Whatever the problem, whether it's big or small, uh, the day turns out to be a nightmare for you. 
I had one of those days uh, a couple weeks ago, and for me, it was a bad day at work. Uh, I wanted things to go well, but the work day was just filled with problems and challenges, and it just kept going and getting worse and worse and worse. And I left work feeling in the gutter, and I started looking for an answer. How, how could I uh, get through this day a little bit better? And God reminded me that I needed to place my trust in Him, and that He was there with me, and He's with you all along whenever you go through those trials. It was at that point that God reminded me of Psalm 91 and gave me the foundational truth of the, the message that, we have already started, that I've already started preaching. God is a source of safety, protection, and help for the believer, but we need to trust him. Perhaps you've heard uh, pastors talk about how people only turn to God when they're in the gutters of life, and as a result, it makes people feel that they shouldn't run to God for help in the bad times because they hadn't gone to him in the good times. And let me tell you, friend, God wants to help you all the time. It doesn't matter where you're at in your life. It doesn't matter what trial you're going through. If you've been away from God and you're in the middle of a trial, he says, come back home. He just wants you to come back home. However, if you're struggling with something, I, I strongly encourage you to come to Jesus. But but the, the, the truth of this passage is that you shouldn't have to run to him in the first place. You should already be there. And we want to make sure that we can go to Jesus whenever we're going through something difficult. But isn't it already better when you're already in, in that place of safety, in the refuge? And that's really the, the truth that is mentioned and uh, repeated in Psalm 91. I want you to look at the first verse. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And we'll look, also look at verse 2. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. Right away, we see words that tell us about the protection and saving power of God as we read through the chapter just a few minutes ago. We saw the words almighty. We saw the word refuge and fortress and wings and feathers and shield. Buckler, which is just a small shield. Uh, habitation, angels, deliver, salvation. All of these words and more points to uh, the protection of God in the believer's life. And today, I want to look at three things as we explore this chapter. Number one, the prerequisites to have God's protection. How do I get to the point where I can uh, have God's protection in my life? Number two, the performance of faith-filled prayer. Okay, now I'm in the battle. I already have the prerequisites. Now what do I do? And then finally, we're going to look at the provision of God during the tough parts of life. And that's saying, okay, now I've uh, done what I need to do. I already had the prerequisites met. And now I get to see God work and bless in uh, an amazing way. Let us start by considering the prerequisites for God's protection. You see, not everyone, like I mentioned, is going to receive the saving power of Christ during the difficult times in life. God has many promises, and we know that they're ultimately uh, put into two categories. They're ultimately put into unconditional promises and conditional promises. Unconditional promises are things that God gives us regardless of what we do. And for those of you that are saved, you know that nothing that you can do is ever going to change your salvation. That's an unconditional promise. He says, hey, the only thing you have to do is believe on me. After that, it's all on my end right? We know that the promises with Israel were unconditional, many of them. Uh, when God promised them a land, it was not dependent on anything that they did. Uh, he was going to give it to them regardless. And now here, though, in Psalm 91, we see conditional promises. He says, if then, if you do this, then I will do this. It says, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Basically, if we we're going to put this in a conditional phrase, we would say, if we dwell in the secret place of the Most High, then we're going to abide under the shadow of the Almighty, and we're going to have that protection. Um, it is important to dwell in the secret place so that we have God's protection and power in our lives when we need it. 
You see, it is the person who dwells in the secret place that is able to abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Abide means to stay, to cherry, to remain. You see, the person who spends time in the secret place is able to continue under God's shadow. God's shadow provides a place of uh, comfort and shade from the sun. Not only that, but it is clear that the person who dwells in the sacred place can have assurance that he will have the other means of protection that we listed in this chapter. And we're going to look at them, and for sake of time, we're not going to look at them right now at this point, but you'll see them a little bit later on in the sermon. So how do we dwell in the secret place? That's the real question, right? How do we know that we're dwelling in the secret place? Well, number one, you have to know God by getting saved. You have to be born again. It is vital to start by noting that you cannot dwell in the secret place unless you first know God. You see, many people treat God like a celebrity. They are God's biggest fans. They wear shirts and they wear clothing with Christian logos on it. And with other fans, they may openly declare that they love Christ. In fact, that's very normal in the evangelical world. They'll tell people that they love Christ among other people that love Christ or, or supposedly love Christ. Um, the fan club loves to talk about their uh, idol with the other fans, right? Um, Sometimes, when it is convenient, they may even talk about Christ to those who are not fans. However, these fans of God will attend church every Sunday morning, and if they are feeling particularly ecstatic, they might even attend church on a Sunday evening or midweek service once in the blue moon. However, it is evident that they like some things about God in the Christian life, but that they don't know God. You see, it's one thing to be a fan of God. It's another thing to have a knowledge of God. Luke 13, verses 25 to 28, and please don't turn there for sake of time. But it says, When once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without, and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know ye not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. You see, the people that Jesus addresses in this text, they were great fans. They had the, the, friend, uh, the fan attitude. But they, uh, the, the fans would say one day they were going to say things like, Jesus, we've heard you speak and we've been to your lunches and your dinners. We've been around you, Jesus. And yet Jesus is going to tell them, I don't know you. I don't know you whence you are. I have no knowledge of you. You see, they'd seen Jesus and he'd seen them. However, that was as far as their communication had gone. And Jesus tells them and he never knew them. How great a tragedy it is to spend your entire life obsessing about God's greatness and God's goodness only to miss out on it yourself because you never took the time to actually meet him. And some of you, you've been attending church for such a long time, but you've never made that decision. You've never decided, I'm going to meet Jesus now. You can be a fan all day long. Just know that the fans, they don't get any of the special privileges. Let's take a famous celebrity that most of you, if not all of you, know. Um, most of you know about Brad Pitt. He's a popular uh, actor that everyone in America has heard about. And many people even obsess his, uh, about him and, and support him. They are the first people that... Uh, whenever there's another popular picture or another popular post that he makes, uh, they're going to be knowing about the gossip surrounding him. However, let me tell you something. They have no idea what he does in his free time. He's never conversed with them. They don't get any advantages they can claim because of him. They cannot go up to a restaurant and say, I know Brad Pitt, I'm his family member, and then get a free meal. Um, and you understand that Brad, Brad Pitt, most people would love to give him a free meal. He's a popular actor. But most people, they're not going to get those advantages that come by knowing him. 
because they don't know him. And the same applies to God. You don't get extra advantages from God until you get to know him. You cannot abide with someone unless you first meet them and have a knowledge of them and, and have met them. I, I get to have advantages by Brother Huggins because I know him. There's a lot of advantages that Brother Huggins is never going to give to a lot of other people. Why? Because he doesn't know them. Uh, how do you know Jesus? Very simply, you have to be born again. God requires that in order to know him. You must have faith in Jesus and you must repent of your sins. It's that simple. It's not a very hard and complicated thing. And while this is all I'm going to say about salvation in the sermon, let me just tell you, if you're not saved, I recommend that you get with Brother Birkin or myself or Brother Huggins or one of the other men of the church and ask us about salvation. We will lead you to Christ. We will help you to have an uh, assurance of your, of your salvation. So not only must you know Christ, but in order to have these advantages and these protections, you also have to dwell in the secret place. And the secret place um, is really a walk with God. There are many on-again and off-again Christians. These Christians are not going to find the protections listed in this chapter because they never stay long enough to experience them. Further, many church members and faithful attendees, they're not going to experience these benefits. Why? because they'll stay in the public place of the Most High, but they never spend time in the secret place. Um, the place that we should be dwelling in is a secret place. It is not a place where everyone sees us and praises us for the perceived love of God that they think we have. It is, it is not just being at church at every service. Being at church, let me tell you something, is vital for spiritual growth in your walk with God, but it is not attending church that is dwelling in the secret place. It goes much farther than that. Now, let me tell you something. Uh, going to church is going to be a result of dwelling in the secret place. Those that dwell in the secret place will come to church, but um, those that just come to church, they haven't begun to uh, just uh, experience the, the benefits of coming in the secret place if that's all that they do. A married couple, for instance, has a public relationship that everyone can see. They see that hopefully the husband and wife, they love and cherish each other. There is a clear connection between husband and wife. However, we all know that there is an even deeper bond that only appears for the couple when they are together away from everyone else. There is a bond, unity, and intimacy that only develops when that couple is alone. It is the time that they spend together that strengthens their love for each other and perfects their marriage. And that's alone time, by the way, not public time. The same applies in the Christian life. There will be a public dwelling, but the advantages of knowing Christ are heavily manifested in our walk with God that occurs in secret. Again, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Charles Spurgeon, um, he's not somebody I would recommend reading as much or, or quoting, but he's an, a good Baptist from time to time. And this is what he said about the verse. He said, The blessings here promised are not for all believers, but for those who live in close fellowship with God. Every child of God looks toward the inner sanctuary and the mercy seat, yet all do not dwell in the most holy place. They run to it at times and enjoy occasional approaches, but they do not habitually reside in the mysterious presence. Those who through rich grace obtain unusual and, com and continuous communion with God so as to abide in Christ and Christ in them become possessors of rare and special benefits, which are missed by those that follow, who follow afar off and grieve the Holy Spirit of God. When you're walking away from God, you're not going to have the advantages of the person that's already there. Um, 
And we'll get into that a little bit more toward the end. It is vital, though, that we have a close walk with God. Having a close walk with God incorporates the most basic of Christian elements. A walk with God consists of listening to Him by reading the Bible. Jesus said that the Scriptures testified of Him. He also said to the Sadducees that they were in error because they did not know the Scriptures. Christ desperately desires us to read, study, and memorize the Scripture. This is all stuff that is done in private. We normally read, study, and memorize Scripture personally and with our immediate family. You see, God wants to meet with you through the Word. And the Bible is a living book, always revealing sin, purifying hearts, and sanctifying lives. Your daily devotions, which is your Bible reading and study, for those of you that don't know, uh, but your daily devotions is an important part of your walk with God. Now, that's not the only part of your walk with God. Having a close walk with God also consists of prayer. Prayer is simply us talking to God in faith. We know prayer is done in secret because Jesus mentions that it should be done in secret. Now, that Jesus, when Jesus said those speeches, he wasn't condemning like public church prayer, the kind that we do, but he does make it, that, make it very clear that it should not be done in pride, that it should not be uh, long and, and for a show. Most of our prayer, and certainly our most powerful prayer, will be done in the prayer closet when nobody's around, when nobody's looking. Um... What Jesus was saying was that prayer should not be done for uh, where everyone can see you praying and praise you for your great prayer life. Prayer is vital, though, because it helps build our belief in an invisible God, and it also helps us to draw closer to Him in all areas of life. And wouldn't it be amazing if people in this church wouldn't have to be begged to pray for God and pray to God? I wonder what would happen if uh, what what we would see God do if we just became a praying people. We say we see God's blessings now, but I, w- I wonder if, if if you haven't been praying, how much you would see God's blessings increase and double and grow. I've noticed that as my prayer life has increased, God's blessings to me have also increased, and that will also be the same for all of you. Um, we need to be careful about neglecting a continual prayer life. First Thessalonians 5.17, and most of you are going to say it with me. Pray without ceasing, right? We all know that one. It's a very clear uh, a verse. And one of the pastors said that it's not, it's not saying that you're, you're consistently praying in the sense that you, obviously we cannot be praying all the time. I'm, I'm not praying right now. I'm preaching. But it's saying that whenever you think about it, whenever you're awake, and whenever it just comes to mind that you're constantly saying a prayer to God uh, to, to help you, we got to have that continual prayer life. Um, it needs to be part of our daily lives. Let me tell you something. Pray at work. Yes, pray at work. I know that people are going to be embarrassed to see, you, to see you pray at work, but pray at work. Pray at home. Pray when you eat. Pray before you go to sleep. Pray before you drive. Pray, pray at school. Pray when you wake up. Pray when you have a break. Pray. Just pray. Let's just get into a habit of prayer. A major part of having a walk with God is seeking God. And we are commanded to seek after God. First Chronicles 16 and verse 11 says, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. And then, of course, we know that Pastor read the verses from Isaiah this morning about seeking His face while He may be found. And we are commanded to seek God. Uh, we are desire, to desire God's presence so much that we continually beg for Him and search for it. We should also seek God's guidance and direction in our life. Seeking God is necessary for having a walk with God. Uh, walking with God incorporates uh, obeying God's commandments also by loving God and others. The Bible says that love is the fulfilling of the law. And First John, um, I'm going to read a couple passages from First John real quick for you. First John chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another 
as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. So when we keep his commandments, the commandment to love God, we are dwelling in him. That's part of the relationship with God. Um, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. And then First John 4, 7, 8, and 12. And most of you guys could quote these. But, Beloved, lo- let us love one another. For love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. So again, he points to this fact that part of the relationship that we have with God consists of loving others. Why? Well, for one, we can think of the the relationship of a family with a, a, a parent and kids, right? And as a kid, when you hit your brother, you're not showing love to your parents, and the parents are going to make that very clear. They're going to come and tell you, hey, you, you, you hit your brother? You don't have a love for me when you hit your brother. And they get very upset. Why? Because uh, when we hurt someone and... Um, let's say I hurt someone that Brother Bird cares about, right? Pastor Bird cares about. Then I'm also hurting him. Why? Because he loves that person and he hates to see them injured. And same thing with God. When we are trying to hurt other people, when we show hate to other people, God's not very happy about that, especially because he died for the entire world. Part of loving and dwelling with God is loving other people. That's just a reality. Um, I want you to look at uh, verse 14 of our text really quickly. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. That relationship of love that happens between us and God and God and others is, is, is vital. To close this first point on dwelling in the secret place, I want to quote Matthew Henry on Psalm 91.1. And Matthew Henry is one of my favorite commentators, uh, but certainly not the only one I use. But he said some really good things about this uh, verse. He said, A great truth laid down in general, that all those who live a life of communion with God are constantly safe under his protection and may therefore preserve a holy serenity and security of mind at all times. He that dwells, that sits down in the secret place of the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He that by faith chooses God for his guardian shall find all that in him which he needs or can desire. Note, number one, it is the character of a true believer that he dwells in the secret place of the Most High. He is at home in God, returns to God, and reposes in him as his rest. He acquaints himself with inward religion and makes hard work of the service of God, worships within the veil, and loves to be alone with God, to converse with him in solitude. And number two, it is the privilege and comfort of those that do so that they abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He, being God, shelters them and comes between them and everything that would annoy them, whether storm or sunshine. They shall not only have an admittance, but a residence under God's protection. He will be their rest and refuge forever. And that's what Matthew Henry said about the passage. I implore you folks to dwell and to learn to dwell in that secret place. Those who dwell in the secret place have a strong advantage over those who do not. You see, they get to succeed in our second point, which is the performance of faith-filled prayer. The performance of faith-filled prayer. Let's look at verse 14 together. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. You see, once we are in the, once we are dwelling in the secret place, God promises that He will answer our prayers. However, we have to remember that our prayers must be made in unwavering faith, according to James chapter one. Unwavering faith means we just trust in God. We rely on Him completely. Uh, we don't trust ourselves. We don't trust other people around us uh, to help us with our trials. We put our faith in God and not wavering, not believing, and not having any doubt that God is going to take care of us. 
It is how we move the heart. Uh, faithful prayer is how we move the heart of God to bless us and to help us in the difficult times. We should trust God with our problems enough to seek him for his help. Psalm 138 verse 3 says, In the day when I cried, thou answerest me, and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. John 15, 7, if, my, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. And notice the abiding was also in John chapter, verse, uh, John chapter 15. And then I like Psalm 50, verse 15, one that I just read very recently. It says, And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. And what God is saying, it says, Hey, don't run to all these other places for your problems. Run to me. I, I encourage you. Seek God's help in your hour of despair. Jesus wants us to trust him for help in our hour of trouble. I am reminded of Asa, one of the kings of Judah. For those of you that don't know, um, he sought God for help during the first part of his reign when he went to battle. And as a result, he was victorious and God gave him uh, amazing uh, military victories during the first part of his reign. However, those of us that have studied the kings and the chronicles know this about Asa. Toward the end of his life, he stopped seeking God. There was a point when he just turned away from God and, and, and turned his face away from God and stopped seeking God. And after failing to capture a powerful king because he did not ask for God's help, he became diseased in his feet with a great disease. And God had the power to heal him of his disease and to set him free. But let me tell you something. He didn't go to God. He went to the physicians. And the physicians, try as they might, were not able to help him. I'm not saying, by the way, that you shouldn't go to the doctors if you're ill. You absolutely should go to the hospital when you're sick, okay? We don't want to take this text out of context. We don't want to take the story out of context. But what the real lesson from the story is that we need to go to the great physician when we're sick. He can help us. And we need to go to him in our other tribulations and trials. He can help us. We need to learn to pray to God when things go wrong in our lives. I like the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Remember that before she knew Jesus, she had seen doctors for years and had spent all the money that she had, and her illness had only gotten worse during this entire process. Then she heard about this person named Jesus, and believing uh, she touched Jesus' garments in faith. You see her desperation, and she was just desirous to be free of this disease. And so she comes up, and she says, If I can only just touch his garments, I'll be free of my illness. And she was, praise the Lord, because Jesus is the great physician. And he wants to do that for everybody. He just wants you guys to come in that faith. Uh, we need to ask God's help if we're ever going to make it in our dark days. You have to come to him. Don't think the dark days will not come. The rain cometh down upon the just and on the unjust. Let me read this real quick. It's Matthew 5, 45, verse B, uh, B, which is just the second half of the verse. It says, For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. And let me just tell you something. If you, if you think the trials and tribulations are never going to come, it doesn't matter whether you're saved or unsaved. You're, you're, you're blinded and you're a fool. I'm just going to say it. Someone that doesn't expect the storms to come, is foolish. Je Jesus says, hey, I send it both on the saved and on the unsaved, the just, the unjust. Everybody's going to deal with their, their tribulations and their trials. So instead of being blind by thinking that by choosing a side, the, the rain's not going to come, instead, get an umbrella. Instead, get under the shelter. That's the solution to the rain, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what you need to learn to do because the trials are going to come. The tribulations are going to come. That's not a question. Uh, in Florida, hurricanes come. You, you don't have a, a solution to avoid the hurricane other than to prepare for it. You get gas. You prepare to leave because the hurricane season is coming through. Or maybe you prepare you know, a better house or something. But you, you, you prepare for the storm. You don't just try to avoid it. 
Um, so finally, we saw the prerequisites for God, from, from God, and that's the dwelling in a secret place and having that relationship with God. We saw the performance that has to be done in order to assure God will help, and that's through prayer, by the way. Now, let us look at my favorite part of this entire lesson, the provision of God during the tough parts of life. For the person who dwells in the secret place and prays in faith is the provision of God in time of need. There are so many benefits listed here that, quite frankly, we don't have enough time to cover them all in depth. You could take several sermons just going through Psalm 91. But since this is the whole point of the message, I want to take a little bit of time to discuss them. And I've summarized these benefits into three basic categories that I call the provisions of God. And uh, we could, again, you could look at all these different provisions, and, but I, I, I needed to make it a little bit simpler for us for tonight, given the amount of time that we had. And so uh, there's just three basic provisions. Number one is protection from the enemy. Protection from the enemy. Look at verse 2. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. That word fortress points to protection from the enemy. Look at verse, the second half of verse 4. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Again, shields and bucklers are used to defend against enemies. Verse 5b, again, which is the second half. Nor for the arrow that flieth by day. The arrow is a military weapon used during conflicts that have to do with the military. Number 6b, uh, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. Again, enemies. Enemies are the ones that bring destruction, usually. Uh, and number seven is my favorite. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Uh, again, pointing to that military warfare that takes place. Most of you are at least somewhat familiar with the spiritual enemies in life, which are the flesh, the devil, and the world. God provides protection from these enemies. We read all about the fiery darts of the devil, and we experience them in our lives in the form of dark thoughts, criticism, discouraging statements from others, and other mentally triggering things. Yet, when we make Jesus our shield, and by the way, a buckler, a buckler, when you see that word in this passage, is just a small round shield. So when we see Jesus and we make him our shield, he protects us with his truth. Uh, you see, in God's eyes, you are valuable. And let me say that again for those of you that didn't hear. You are valuable. There is value in you. There is value in your soul. God's word, the source of, of, of truth, contains many of God's promises towards you and his thoughts about you. And by dwelling with God, the mental darts are not going to be able to pierce our heart. And we've all gone through them. We've all gone through the attacks when the devil tries to tell us we're worthless and we aren't worth a dime. But God says, hey, just, just take my shield of truth. Just take that and protect yourself with it. God has that available to us against the enemies that we have. God wants to deliver us from our enemies. And further, let me tell you something. God will help us when we have physical enemies as well, those that are not spiritual or mental or emotional. We all have people in our lives from time to time that seem to have it out for us, that seem to attack us with everything that they have, whether it's paperwork at work or whatever that may be. And God is on your team, let me tell you. And when you're dealing with these people, remember that you have all-powerful God fighting on your team. You can go to God for help. Remember, he can defeat any foe, whether physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, you name it, God can help. Um, further, he wants to help. You're the only one that's holding you back is you. And that's, that's the reality. The only one when you're in a storm that's holding you back from getting an umbrella is you. You have the choice. Um, when we trust in God for help, he causes our enemies to fall like flies. The passage says, a thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. You see, as God deals with our physical enemies, 
we're not going to be harmed in the process. We get to just have that view as God takes care of our enemies. And that doesn't mean he's always going to like kill them or destroy them. Sometimes he converts them. I love the, 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 the phrase about making your enemy your friend. And, um, but God takes care of that. He'll, he'll take care of the enemies for you. You just get to sit back and relax as he defeats the devil, as he defeats the flesh, as he defeats the world, as he defeats your, uh, the enemies that you have at work or, or abroad that, that come into your life that are, that are a problem. And when we saw how that happened in, in Paul's life with the woman that was nagging at him, when Paul called the Spirit out, that was through the power of God. It was nothing that Paul could have done by himself, but it was the power of God that gave him the power to uh, get rid of that, that spirit that was just causing problems for him and his ministry. And God is going to do the same thing for you when you actually bother to seek him and have a relationship with him not only do we get protection from our enemies and let me take a quick sip of water before i take this next point but not only do we get the protection from our enemies but god also provides protection from the plagues the pestilence and other medical issues look at verse three the second half of verse three that second phrase, it says, and from the noisome pestilence. He shall deliver thee from the noisome pestilence. And then we look at verse 6a. Nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness. Pestilence, by the way, is a disease, a very uh, evil disease, a, a very fast-spreading uh, disease. Look at verse 16. Look at the very first part of verse 16. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. We already heard about the woman that had an issue of blood. And I want to tell you something, that God wants to heal all of us just like he healed her. Praise the Lord for a God that heals. Jesus is called the great physician, praise the Lord. Amen. He is a better doctor than money can buy. The phrase noisome pestilence just refers to a fatal disease. The Bible says he'll deliver us from that. When we abide with Christ, great is his healing on our lives. And further, God promises to increase the lifespan of those who dwell with Christ. What a blessing! We don't just get to uh, have the medical assurance, but we also get to have a longer life for most of us. Now, sometimes God will call us home early, and I don't want to say that that's a concrete promise, but certainly um, it's, it's there. You can see it. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. And we get to have that blessing of life from God. Go to God for medical help. Pray to him. James chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 says, As any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And again, we see it's the Lord's doing, not our own doing. Even though the elders are the ones that are doing the praying, it's God that's just the saving. We must learn to seek the great, physi seek the great physician for help with our medical needs. Finally, this is the closing part of the sermon. Amen. Finally, we get to see God's protection from the storms. What an amazing point. The disciples, they cried out to their master who was asleep. The waves were beating hard upon the ship. And it was being tossed by the waves of the sea. And Jesus was sleeping. And the disciples come down to the bottom of the ship and they say, Master, save us. And Jesus commands the sea, peace, be still. And the waves became calm in but a single moment. Praise the Lord for that. You see, we all go through storms, the trials and the tribulations that rock our lives like heavy rain or waves on the sea. What we need is Jesus to cry out, peace be still. You can and you will have that in your life when you dwell in the secret place and beg Jesus for help. Notice the first part of, uh, of verse 1. Uh, sorry, uh, verse 2. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. Refuge is a shelter from the storm. Look at verse A, uh, five, uh, chapter, uh, verse 5. Ver uh, let me start this again. Look at verse 5, the first part of verse 5. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, 
um, verse 15 says, He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. The word there, trouble, I will deliver him and honor him. The word refuge is most associated as being a safe dwelling place during a storm. And there are several other verses that I don't have time to take you through that points to Jesus being our refuge and say that he's our refuge, several of which are in Psalms. Um, Praise the Lord that we find that Jesus is our refuge in the time of storm. When we are under God's shadow, we are given a covering from the rain and lightning. It is vital to rely on him for protection when we face the storms of life. And last, um, we obviously, we learned a lot about dwelling in the secret place. We learned a lot about the importance of faith-filled prayer. We learned that God is our refuge. Last, I just want to bring out the, the story of the prodigal son. And there aren't a lot of uh, time that I want to take on this. But you all know the, the story of the prodigal son. Uh, they're both sons to begin with. And that points to me that they're both saved. I'm not going to say that they're not saved in sermon, uh, some sermon illustrations. But I think when you look at the context, you see that you have two saved boys. One which is doing right and one which is clearly not. And the one that's not, he takes his inheritance and he runs. And he goes through this horrible famine. And eventually he has to come back home. But the other son had the protection the entire time. Why? Because he was dwelling. He was dwelling in the house. When the famine hit, it, it still hit. It still affected everybody, but it didn't seem to affect the son that stayed home. Why? Because he was home in the place of protection, in the place of healing. And my friend, you need to learn to just stay home. Stay with God. Stay in that secret place and don't ever leave. And uh, thank you so much. I'm going um, to ask Brother Burke to come and close us.